So if you have dollars in search of an investment, there you go. If God is calling you, maybe God is putting it on your heart to uh, help fund what she's doing. What a great story. So many people on campus now that are reaching out to others. Uh, it's so cool. I, I love it. And it's, it's wonderful to think of kids showing up, finding Jesus Christ, and their life changing. So they get an education, and then they get a life, and they get, get something to live for, and they get the promise of eternity as well. So that's awesome. Hey, if you've got your handouts, do you want to pull those out? We're going to be looking at uh, um, uh, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. So John chapters 13 through 17 are known as the Upper Room Discourse, the Farewell uh, Messages of Jesus, uh, the Farewell Discourse, Jesus giving the, the last teachings to his disciples before he goes to the cross. At the top of your handout, I wrote this because we're in a series called How to Stay Sane in a Polarized Society. For the believer in Jesus, at the intersection of faith and culture, culture yields to faith because faith always has the right of way. Faith always does. And culture always has to yield. And as we look at this passage, we're in John 17. After last week, we were in John 13. So if you're wondering, it's interesting how John writes. And in between John 13 and 17, there's this, um, there's this target or this bullseye scenario where you've got these outer rings and it comes into the bullseye. And on the, the front outer ring is John 13. And then adjacent to it, within the same band, is John 17. And so you've got Jesus introducing his mission and his, um, his uh, sacrifice of kneeling and washing his disciples' feet. His humility, that's the word I was looking for. Introducing his humility, the stance of the Savior his humility and the love that he told his disciples to have. And then you get on the other end of this teaching and it's kind of sandwiched with Jesus, again, praying for his disciples, praying that they would have unity, that they would have love as, they were also there, as they're also on mission to reach the world. And so you've got Jesus has some similar teaching on both ends. And we'll see that as we get into this a little bit. But then you, you come into the next concentric circle and you've got the teaching of Jesus in John chapter 14 where he says, um, let not your hearts be troubled. The, the disciples were going into a difficult um, time span. They were going to be without Jesus, and the world wasn't going to be a fun place. And at the, at the end of that, in John chapter 16, kind of like on the other end of that arc, you've got Jesus talking about how the disciples were going to experience joy, and there were good things to come, kind of the answer to the issues he's uh, raising earlier. And then you come into the next band that's around the core, and that band, he introduces the concept of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter. And then in John uh, oh, 15 to 16, he talks about the work of the Spirit in their lives. And then you've got the bullseye in the middle. And, the, and this, is the way, this is the way John is writing, because here in the Western world, we think linear. We think one, two, three, um, capital A, capital B, subpoint C. You know, we, we think in terms of an outline. We think in word. 
in Microsoft Word. That's how our minds process things. Not the case in the ancient Near East. There, was, uh, there were ways of writing, different ways of writing, different kinds of literature, um, different ways of thinking. They didn't think in terms of chronology or numbers and counting, you know, one, two, three, A, B, C. They didn't think like that. That he's trying to, in 13 through 17, he's just trying to give some messages from Jesus in a format that is helpful in, in communicating in that day. We don't really see it. We don't notice it because we're removed by a culture, we're removed by time, and we're removed by language. But in their time and culture and language, it was there. And in the center, you've got John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit if you abide in the vine. And so the bullseye of the teaching in the upper room is where we abide in Jesus Christ. And when we do, we're fruitful. So the mission he puts us on we bear fruit when we are drawing our strength from the vine, when we're drawing our strength from Jesus. So having said that, we're going to see that in miniature in the first five verses of chapter 17. And the cool thing is right now, our culture is just like it's whirling and swirling. And John chapter 17 gives us such good guidance as believers as how to be, how to live in our culture. How do we comport and conduct ourselves. He gives us some great insight here in John 17, really throughout this, these, all these chapters. But look at verse 1 of John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. And this is the longest prayer recorded of Jesus. And we see verses 1 and 5, and then 2 and 4, and then 3 is the bullseye. Look at verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. It's sandwiched. Both pieces of bread are glory. The glory of God. Giving glory to God. That's, that was Jesus' purpose, and that is what he was going to do. He was going to glorify God. But the Father also glorifies the Son. The glorify he's talking about, however, in these chapters, and it comes also in earlier chapters, is the cross. He would be glorified on the cross. That's what he came to do, and that was how he would glorify God. Look at verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. This is, uh, this is the, the work that he had to do was eternal life, to give eternal life. And he is finishing the work. And the bullseye is verse 3. And verse 3 is like the, the foundation of everything. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus defines and describes what eternal life is, that they would know you. If you went out on the patio on your way out and there was somebody there from KTIV with a microphone and they asked you, hey, you're a churchgoer, how well do you know God? 
and they stuck the microphone, some of you would be like, oh, I know God. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. I know God. I have a relationship with God. But then if they, if they pressed you a little bit, and like, how well do you know him? What's your intimacy level with God? You'd be like, oh, you're not exactly sure how you're going to answer that. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God. The only true God. Remember we've been talking about how Jesus is teaching his own deity, his own divinity, how the scriptures in places where we wouldn't expect it, you can kind of see it there. And here you can kind of see it. He says the only true God and Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to know the only true God and along with that, well, you're knowing the only true God, why don't you get to know Jesus too? Well, that's weird. If there's just an only true God, he's, he's, not, nobody is equal to him, right? But you can get to know Jesus too, whom you have sent, the Father has sent. So there's just, there's hints and there's clues as you read through the words of Jesus. So in this first five, in these first five verses, is, it's a prayer. It's Jesus' prayer that God would help him, that the Father would help him finish the job and glorify him and bring him glory. Verse 6, he begins to pray for his disciples. And he says this, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Out of the world, right? And over and over, he's talking about the Father giving us to the Son. How we belong to the Son, but we belong to the Father. But we're in the Son's hands, but he's in the Father's hands. There's all of this redundancy going on like the Department of Redundancy Department, right? There's all of these redundancies over and over in the language. Why? Emphasis, emphasis, emphasis. The intimacy that God wants to have with us. He says, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. And now he's going to talk about how these disciples, they get it. They've gotten it. They've finally gotten it. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. And I pray for them. Four-word sentence, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. Get that? So God gives, them, gives us to the Son but we still belong to the Father too. That, that shared possession, that shared ownership. Verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them. By the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The name of the Lord, the name of the Lord, all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New. There's power, there's protection in the name of the Lord. Verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe 
by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Now think about that for a minute. Is Jesus of the world? Well, we know he's not. That's duh. We feel like we are. Like it's where we were born. It's where we started. But he says that once we get it, once we place our faith in God and in his son, Jesus Christ, we're all of a sudden, we're, we've been pulled out of the world. We're not of the world anymore, just like Jesus isn't of the world. We're compared to Jesus in that way. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Another redundancy there. Sanctify them, set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Well, we're taken out, but we're, we're sent back in. It's like he takes us out, he sanctifies us by the truth, by his word, and then he sends us back in on mission. Don't let anybody ever tell you that truth isn't important. The truth is very, very important. That's why it says in the Ten Commandments, you know, don't bear false witness. Don't lie. The truth is important. Verse 19, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. There's so much meaning in every one of these phrases. You could go really deep on the, what, it, what does it mean that Jesus sanctified himself? How do you sanctify yourself? When you're Jesus, you can sanctify yourself. So that, he says, so that we would be truly sanctified. What's that word sanctified mean? It means set apart because we're taken out of the world. We're, we're set apart for a particular purpose, a particular mission. And then he makes us ready, and then he puts us back in, and now we're not the same. We're on mission. We're different. You've got the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and then you've got the world, the kingdom of this world. And as we look through this chapter and the ones before it, you see that the characteristics of people in the kingdom is love that provokes unity. Or it's the characteristics there, there's unity that provokes love, right? When you're unified, you learn to love each other. When you love each other, you're unified. They're, they're, almost, they're almost faith without works is dead, right? They're the same. Love and unity just permeate this teaching, and the love and unity go along with the third thing, and that is mission. Their mission is the same as the mission of Jesus. It's to seek and save the lost. So there's the kingdom of heaven, and there's the kingdom of this earth. And up here, there's love, and there's unity, and there's mission to seek and save the lost. But what's going on down here? We can, all we have to do is look around on our computers, on our televisions, on our newspapers, if there are any more, all we have to do is look or listen or step outside. There's factions, there's fracturing, there's division. 
Everything's binary. It's this or it's that. It's up or it's down. It's, it's left or right. It's, it's, it's pro, it's con. There's division. There's divisiveness. There's disunity. There's a lot of antagonisms. There's opposition and, and fighting and hostility. That's, that's all of the world because that's all of Satan, right? That's the heart of the devil is to divide and to destroy. When there's division in your home, that's the heart of Satan trying to get in and his, his evil powers that do, will do anything to divide. When there's division in any group, that's really the will, not of God, but that's the will of the devil. That's the will of this world. And the Bible says that we who are here, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and high places. That's who we wrestle against. And God has called us to be on a mission to come down and to seek and save the lost. The lost who are divided and, and throwing stuff at each other and hollering at each other and screaming and stating their case and claiming their freedom from one another and their independence and, and, and all this different stuff. They're divided by identity and practice and all these things. So, so here's the interesting thing. And you, again, as you go through 13 through 17, you see this. When we up here, when we come down and we join them in the hostility in the getting on teams and choosing sides and throwing Molotovs at, one, at, at the other side, when we come down here and adopt, what's happened is we've lost the love and we've lost the unity, and therefore we're not even thinking about mission, and these people down here don't have anything to look to. There's nothing now that's drawing them because it says here in John 17, we're going to see this in a, in a minute, that the love you have for another will show everybody that you are my disciples. And the unity that you live your lives together in will cause these people to believe that there is a Messiah, that Jesus has come and he can change people. So the love and the unity that is needed for these people to receive the mission that we're put on when we come down here and we become part of the cultural morass and chaos, we lose our ability to accomplish our mission. We lose, we're no longer abiding in Christ. We, we've gotten down, as they say, gotten down in the mud and we're wrestling with the pig. And how does it go? We, every, we, everybody gets dirty, but the pig likes it, right? That's, that's what we've done. Now we're down in the mud and we're wrestling. The pig isn't the person. No, it's the evil. It's the devil. It's the spiritual forces. It's the wickedness. It's the process. It's the antagonisms and the hostilities and the oppositions. God wants us to be people of the kingdom, people of the body of Christ who can have unity because unity is what draws people. Because the people down here in the world, they're tired. They're tired of drawing lines and arguing and screaming and fighting and they, they gain an inch this way and then they gain an inch that way and we, we win this thing and then they win that thing. And it's not just a political thing. It's a regional thing. It's an identity thing. It's a practice thing. It's a nationality thing. We People will find that there's no shortage of things that Satan will use to divide people and to create hostilities. 
and the body of Christ, we rise above all that. And the people down here who are so tired of that, they walk into a place like this, especially when we're all like congregated together like this in a congregation, and, and we're, we're at peace, and we're kind to each other, and we love each other, and we help each other. They come into that kind of a, a setting, they're like, this is weird. What's, this is different. What's going on with these people? This, there is no other place on the planet, you guys. There's no other place where the purpose is sacrificial love and devotion to a God and to one another. There's no other group that does that. If you haven't noticed, you go out in the world and you look around. These people are not finding that. In fact, the powers that be down here, we know this. What do they feed off of? What actually gives them energy? Just like on uh, Monsters, Inc., right? It was, it was powered by this, the screams and the, and the fright and the scares of the children. Down here, the powers that be, are, they're fed on the animosity and the antagonism and, and, the, and the, the hatred and the separation and the division and the disunity and the discord, the disagreements and the arguments and the yelling and the screaming. The powers of darkness, they feed off that. They love that. And when we live like this, with love and with unity on mission, then everybody in the kingdom of this world has something to look to. As, Bo, as Pastor Bo led us this morning, when, when we turn to the Father, we have a Father, the God and Father of us all. That's a different scenario, different scenario. So now I realize, well, it's 1130. Hmm. Let's quickly read through the rest of this chapter because you're going to see it here. My prayer is not for them alone. Now he's praying for us. This is where he prays for us. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe. When there's unity amongst believers, that's when the world looks on and says, that is attractive. When we get down in the muck and mire of the world system, that's not attractive. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I watched this weekend as some... Um, uh, news people interviewed uh, pro-life people to try to antagonize them and say how this position actually is really bad. It's like the end of the world for so many people. And I, and I found several. They weren't just pro-life, but they were believers. They were believers first. And, and as they talked, this person was trying to antagonize them to get into the fray. And I saw several, I was so proud of several believers who, who stayed up here, who kept love and unity and talked about the value of unborn children, the value of life, but then also talked about the love that they have for the mom and for the poor and for the one who's, who's caught in this, in this uh, 
decision that nobody ever wants to make with health and, and the, the, the situation with babies who aren't doing well and all of that complexity. And she spoke with such compassion for real people who are going through real things and, and real young women who they don't want another baby. And now you perhaps have a baby coming into a home where the, they're not wanted and they might not be cared for. And the complexity of that and how that calls the church for believers to step up and, and help in crisis pregnancy situations and be there with empathy and compassion and insist on life, but also be there to assist in life. And some, some of these people, they stayed up here and it was refreshing to see because this person was trying to pick a fight and it takes two to tango and this one wasn't fighting. And it was a beautiful picture of what it means to be in the kingdom of light and the kingdom of heaven. I and them and you and me so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. There's the word love. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them. I told them about you, Father. And I'll continue to make you known, known in order that the love you have for me, the love the Father has for Jesus, may be in them, in us. We have the love that the Father would have for the Son. This triune God is inviting us right into the middle of his relationship the relationship the Father has with the Son and has with the Spirit, he invites us right into the middle of that, that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself, Jesus, I may be in them. How does this happen? It's the wonder of the Trinity. It's the wonder of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the wonder of that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not our own. We're bought at a price. So my encouragement to us this morning is that we rejoice over good decisions for the good that can come. We, but, but here's the problem, you guys. If we leave this place of identity and mission, the people down here who still want to seek to end a pregnancy well, if their heart isn't changed, if they're not drawn to the love, if they're not drawn to a new kingdom, they'll just go to a different state. They'll just they'll find it somewhere else. See, but what we've done is we've just made it possible now for states to decide their own laws about that, which is a good thing, right? That's a good thing. But it's not, not every state is going to do the same thing, and there will be states that still provide it, and there are. And they'll just go somewhere else. So it means that our mission as Jesus followers is to be full of empathy, full of compassion, full of love, and full of help, help to draw these people through acts of kindness and acts of generosity and acts of care and compassion. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Paul wrote, live a peaceful and quiet life and work with your hands so that you can help others which means we don't go from here down here and become 
part of the crowd, the this side and the that side, and enter into all the antagonisms and all the aggravations. We have to keep our identity and stay on mission because that's the only way the world will know. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's the most important job that we have is to seek and save the lost, to do what Jesus came to do as we're his body on the planet. So let's keep that focus. Let's keep that focus. Let's praise God for the good that that has been accomplished this past weekend and now pray there's a lot more work to be done, but there's work to be done with people to get them from darkness to light, from the kingdom of the devil to the kingdom of God. I don't know where you're at this morning, but Jesus offered himself for you. Faith in Jesus Christ, just faith in him, to believe in him and to receive forgiveness from him is the only answer. It's the only answer in life is for us to become a child of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity we had this morning to to read the words of Jesus here. The redundant, emphatic words of Jesus. The words about love and the words about us being in you and you in us. The words about us, God, needing to be in unity and in love with one another because we have the same Father, we have the same Savior, we have the same indwelling Holy Spirit. God, may this place, may may Newton and may the church in Newton and our part in that church in Newton, may it be a beautiful picture of heaven. May it be a beautiful picture of care and love, of compassion and truth. May it be a picture of incarnation where, where we live here, we walk among our neighbors and our relatives and people who are still caught in the world system. And may people be drawn to that love and unity. And God, we pray for all that's going on in our country right now, uh, for this side and that side, and for those who are in darkness and confusion, for those caught up in the, in the fights and the battles, for those who are weary and burdened. God, we pray that people would come to faith in you, for then their hearts will change. And then they will seek to do good and to do right, to seek truth. Help us to be a part of that, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand together and as we